Hello, I'm Natasha Turner. Hi, I'm Joe Jackson. So I'm Henry Fernandez. Uh, my name's Paul LaCourcier. So I'm Sagarika. I'm Eugenia Jackson. I'm Jodie Tapscott. I'm uh, Rebecca Mingela. I'm James Alexander. So I'm Owen Fahey. And welcome to ESG Out Loud. I've just returned from two weeks at COP26. It was an amazing experience to be there for the full time. And I spoke to people all throughout my time there from the industry about what was going to happen at the start of the two weeks, a lot of people at the investment COP that you'll hear from later in this episode, and then afterwards reflecting back and talking about the work that needs to happen from now on. So this episode is going to bring you all those views from people all across the industry, all across my time there. I spoke to people in the first week about the pledges that we heard coming out of Finance Day, and you'll hear views about whether they should be more legally enforceable action, or there needs to now be the expertise to meet those pledges. I spoke to people at the Investment Cop, and you'll hear from the clips just the hustle and bustle and the vibrant atmosphere that was there. And there was a real sense of momentum in the industry, but perhaps something that needs to be translated over onto the policy side. There was a lot of talk about how involved the corporate sector has been in COP this year, and you'll hear some views on that, as well as the pretty unanimous uh, agreement for the need for carbon pricing and the uh, excitement around that. In these clips, I particularly like the some of the phrases that were used, radical collaboration, and obviously the need for more collaboration in general within the industry and with other industries as well, corporates, but also it was interesting to hear how people at the conference had really benefited from hearing from other voices, for example, youth voices that were there. Like I said, you'll see uh, the just the, the sheer number of events and uh, excitement and bustle that's going on in these clips and in all the places that I was around Glasgow. There were lots of events going on, as you'll hear from Owen Fahey and uh, it's a real, um, you, hopefully you get that real sense of being on the ground and uh, in the midst of it all here in Glasgow. Please enjoy listening to all the reactions from COP26 and let us know your thoughts. Hi, I'm Jill Jackson, the CEO of The Big Exchange. Um, I had the great pleasure of attending COP um, on Wednesday, the 3rd of November on Finance Day um, in my home city of Glasgow. So no private jets for me, just a short train journey to attend the event. An eventful one, but a short train journey. I think for me, I was delighted to see the commitments that were made um, and pledges that were made from the world leaders. I think I would like to have seen some more you know, legally enforceable action for them to make sure that we, we do deliver on those pledges just due to the time horizon. It's so important that we deliver the change that needs to be delivered. And I, I think for me, one of the things that was potentially missing from it is the action that people can take right now. So making it, how can we make it relevant for people? And there were some good events on um, for consumers. That, so it was good to, it was good to see that. But I think ultimately... Consumers, when they hear 130 trillion um, as a number, it feels so also unmanageable. I think David Attenborough's speech in particular, you know, was very moving. Um, and I think if we sit back in six months' time and watch that speech again and we've not done anything collectively, um, those world leaders haven't done anything, then we've got a big, a big problem in our hands. So, yeah, I'm hopeful, um, but I just really want to see some action on those, on those pledges. Brilliant, thank you. So I'm Henry Fernandez, uh, Chairman and CEO of MSCI. 
As many of you know, MSCI uh, is, is a global leader in providing investment tools to the uh, global investment uh, community. Uh, so I'm here in Glasgow for uh, about a week myself. Uh, I will fortunately be here the first week, unfortunately not the second week, but I know there is a lot happening in the second week as well. Uh, a lot of my activities are divided into uh, three or four areas. Uh, the first one is um, meeting clients, you know, meeting uh, asset owners, asset managers, banks, insurance companies, uh, corporations, you know, companies. So uh, we, uh, we tried to ascertain who was going to be here and therefore use this week as a, as a marketplace, as a, as a meeting point, almost like the all fairs, right, uh, that go back in time. To, um, to all gather in one place and uh, meet and talk about one topic, which is, you know, climate change. So uh, it's very concentrated on that. So that's one aspect of, of my activities. Uh, the second one is, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to some of the, uh, uh, of, of the events of, uh, of COP26 and, uh, and see and listen to what people are saying, especially Wednesday, which is uh, Finance Day. Uh, and see what the pronouncements are, what the speeches are, etc. The third uh, uh, area of activity is uh, talking to the media, the mediums of exchange, because those are very important in translating a lot of what we're doing and um, amplifying the messages that uh, that we're talking to to people about and explaining, you know, what we're doing, explaining the issues, discuss, discussing and debating, you know, the problems. So um, that's the, um, you know, the third part uh, of, of what I'm doing. So those are the, the three dimensions. Now, hopefully, um, you know, I get to uh, taste the, uh, the Scottish uh, food here, uh, see a few of the, uh, of the sites, uh, at least from one meeting to going on the, uh, from one meeting to another, although not a lot of sightseeing time, I imagine. Uh, the traffic will not be the, that great, you know, for that. And, uh, and I hope to stay out of trouble. I hope to stay, uh, I don't get in the middle of a, of a violent protest or anything like that and get caught, uh, get, get caught there. And that's obviously, uh, safety is very important in this, uh, in this forum. My name's Paul LaCourcier. I'm the Global Head of ESG Investments for Janice Henderson. Great. And uh, so we're speaking here at the investment on the second day. Uh, your main takeaways have been so far from this particular print event? Yeah, so my biggest observation is that everyone quite intuitively agrees on what the desired endpoint is that we're trying to achieve. But there's a lot of debates about the right path there. There are differing views you know, all over the place on that. And while your first reaction to that might be that it's a negative thing because there isn't consensus, I actually think that's very much a positive thing because you need that debate to make sure that you don't wind up in a circumstance with lots of unintended consequences. And if you don't flush out all of the options on the table thoroughly, you know, there's a risk that you end up getting the solution wrong. I mean, it feels like there's a strong awareness of that, a strong awareness of the trade-offs that we all need to be thinking about, which I think is quite good. What are some of the different well, I mean, a, a very fundamental one that I've had a few conversations about is whether at its core this is a capital markets problem or it's a government policy and consumer behavior problem. 
and how much of a role capital markets can play in the solution does sort of depend on that fundamental question. You know, if, if we really need to play a part of facilitating capital allocation that partners with coordinated government regulation, that's quite different than believing that capital markets is the solution on a standalone basis. Um, and so I, I've had four or five discussions and debates about that. You know, not necessarily in the main sessions, but talking to the participants in the in the feedback and catch up, you know, opportunities. Yeah, interesting. So, speaking of the main sessions then, in the main um, COP conference uh, here in Glasgow in general, what's your experience been? Um, yeah, just sort of personally on the ground here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's fun to be part of the electricity. You know, that was that was definitely obvious when I first arrived. I am relieved to the point that I was making a moment ago that there is as much focus as there is on the government, government negotiation and commitments. You know, I, I've heard it phrased as so far so good-ish. I've also heard two cheers rather than three cheers. And I think that sort of sums up, you know, the view on the ground of how people feel about it. Because, you know, we've had some groundbreaking commitments on methane and coal, but most of the signatories aren't the big emitters, you know, so we're talking about achieving change on the margin rather than wholesale change. So I think people are feeling encouraged, but there's a recognition that this doesn't get us as far as we need to go. So I, I think everyone will be look, watching this coming week quite closely. Yes. Yeah. And finally, you're moderating a panel later today. Just um, explain to the listeners briefly if they missed that. Um, yeah, so the main topic is to discuss whether decarbonization offers an opportunity for emerging markets. And the bookend perspectives that I've either read or heard on this, and I'll exaggerate a little bit just for effect, is that on one spectrum, it's going to cost an absolute truckload of money. It will end up impacting the local economy, it will impact corporate earnings, it will impact government debts, it will be inflationary, you know, and, and not recognizing that is sort of candy coating the depth of the problem. On the other end of the spectrum is the viewpoint that the sustainable finance mechanism will help ensure that we can support the transition, make sure that there's no disruption to the local society and systematically deliver superior returns to investors. As with many things, I suspect the truth is somewhere in the gray between and that's what we'll be digging into with the panelists. Well, thanks very much for joining me today, and enjoy the rest of COP. Yep, thank you. So, I'm Sagarika, um, Director of Climate Change at PRI. i um, been here over the last week at COP26. What's PRI's role going to be in this? Um, good question. So, a couple of things. One, I think, is raising the investor voice loud and clear that we want policy acceleration and we need that to be able to deploy our capital to the net zero transition and then we have to bring that down to a country level and then also a sector level and a thematic level in terms of what we need and then i think the second is actually in helping investors in taking action themselves across their portfolios so we've seen a lot of net zero commitments a lot of our pri signatories are now part of the un global campaign rates to zero 450 financial institutions in that. I think about two, 300 are probably PRI signatories. So what we need to see is delivery of net zero targets, a massive implementation job in like the methodologies that are needed, the stewardship that's needed, the transparency and accountability that's needed, and the real emissions reductions in the portfolio.
One of the key things for me that I've taken away has actually been hearing other voices that I don't normally hear in the finance and investment world. So um, particularly youth, and when I think youth, I think Fridays for Futures, you know, lots of noise, um, how does that relate to what I do? Um, but a particular session that really stood out for me was Clover Hogan, who's a young climate activist, and she was doing a session about eco-anxiety and then turning that to steps that young people are taking to try to redress the balance. And they're feeling that they're not a part of the decisions that are being made, um, but they are really going to be impacted by those decisions. So that really stuck with me. Um, and I'd like to think about more how we can address that, um, bring that into our conversations in a meaningful way in the investment world. And also, I think, focus more on resilience. So there's 4 billion people susceptible to the physical impacts of climate change. We need to be taking actions on um, how we're going to assess the risk of the physical impacts and how we're going to protect and help those people so that they're not just rebuilding and rebuilding, um, but can withstand the shocks from climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. All right, well, thanks very much. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Eugenia Jackson. I head up ESG research at Digital Fixed Income. Pigeon Fixed Income is a fixed income only active global asset manager and we have over 900 billion dollars uh, in assets under management. Mm -hmm. And we're speaking here at the uh, investment COP. So what's your experience of this been so far? I mean, we're nearly at the end of the second day, so um, what would be your key highlights? I think it's a very interesting conference. The energy is uh, quite something. Yeah. It's a bit tangible sort of excitement and uh, um, in, in, in the audience and uh, you know, from the stage, it was actually it looked and felt fantastic. I think in terms of key takeaways from yesterday and this morning, I would, I would name three. So the first one, it's very clear that the investment community as well as corporate community really support as more regulation and policy as long as the regulation and the policy is clear. Because I think this is the first cop where it's become very clear that the Investment community, corporate community need long-term visibility to make investments. And that there is a definitely a limit to what private sector can do on its own without policy support. And that has to come from the government. That's the first takeaway. The second one, um, and I said that from the stage as well, that everyone seems to be supporting carbon pricing as the best mechanism to actually address both the supply side as well as the demand side um, of the problem that we are facing. And the third one, and it came out of pretty much every panel that I attended, everyone's talking about collaboration. There has to be collaboration between the investment community and the regulators within the investment community, and also between the investors and issuers, the corporate issuers or sovereign issuers. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your experience on the stage, and you did a talk here. Can you summarize some of your main points for any of the listeners that didn't catch that? The key points uh, were that, you know, in terms of implementation of and how we take our um, assets and our clients' portfolios towards net zero, um, is that you need to look at these issues from, first and foremost, from a risk-return perspective. That means that you need to integrate ESG considerations directly into your investment analysis, for us as credit analysis. And it can't be, there is no opt-out from that. It has to be done from every single issue or for every single security that you invest in. That's where you generate value for your clients. 
where your clients, um, our clients have sustainability objectives, we need on top of the risk return objectives, we need to be able to give them the tools to be able to implement those in their portfolios, which is why we as an investment manager, we actually look at impacts of our investments, again, for every single issue. And that's really important. They can't be pockets of your portfolio. It has to be your entire asset base. And we're doing it for corporates, for sovereigns, for munis, for securitized assets. And the third point is, if we were to really take our clients' assets towards net zero, we need to have the tools to be able to assess the every stage of that net zero process. So we need to know how aligned our holdings are with the net zero objective today. We need to be able to see where they're going to get if the targets that they put set for themselves are going to be implemented at specific points in time. We need to be able to monitor the progress and we need to be able to then make investment decisions on that basis and then report to our clients. Now, that can only be done if you have the data, if you've actually designed portfolio analytics and portfolio and integrate that data into portfolio management tools. So it can't be just a reporting exercise. It has to be as it has to be a critical part of your investment process. And this is something where we are putting a lot of effort and a lot of work in, and I think we've achieved quite a significant uh, progress on that journey. And that's what needs to happen to have consistent implementation of net zero pledges and net zero expectations from our clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then a great place to be able to share best practice here as well. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. That's great. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Perfect. Thank you. Hi, Natasha. I'm Jody Tapscott. I'm the Director of Investment Strategy at Responsible Investment Strategy at Alliance Bernstein. You know, my colleague uh, Sarah Rosner and I, who's the Director of Environmental Research and Engagement at Alliance Bernstein, are here at COP for both the Investment COP and the uh, Climate Innovation Summit over the next couple of days. I think our, you know, we've been really pleased and energised by uh, some of the new thinking that we've seen from COP this year. Um, one of the one of the surprising uh, elements and uh, that we're very pleased about is the call for more policy action on carbon taxes and and carbon markets in general. You know, we've seen a real shift in the dialogue. Um, at this COP around actually corporates calling to be regulated in this space and calling for um, a global global carbon pricing, which is something that as a house we're very supportive of and um, and that, yeah, we, we're looking forward to seeing more regulation in this space. Yeah. And how have you found the investment COP? I mean, it's definitely a hustle and bustle here. And has it been interesting to um, to catch up with people, see what other houses are doing, that kind of thing? Absolutely. I think that I think this has been a really interesting uh, two-day conference for us around seeing uh, seeing some really innovative partnerships between. Uh, different corporates, but also corporates and investors. You know, one of the things that one of the takeaways I was able to make yesterday was that um, the um, the organisers here of the conference are, you know, able to facilitate corporate and asset owner investment management partnerships and collaborations. And this is something that we're seeing more and more from. And we've heard announcements about around this kind of idea of radical collaboration working together across industry and across 
um, across different players in the sector to enable the transition finance and to, to develop innovative solutions and help each other solve solve the challenges that we're facing in, in order to be able to decarbonise and meet our own net zero commitments. I am uh, Rebecca Minghella, I'm the founder and the CEO of Clarity AI. Uh, Clarity AI is a software uh, company, a tech platform uh, for investors and companies to assess uh, the sustainability of well investments uh, and also organizations and peers, industries, etc. We're at the first day of the investment block today. Um, there's been a lot of tasks to network and there's quite a lot of people here, um, more than I was expecting anyway. What, uh, what the most interesting things that you've heard today be, maybe conversations you've been having on one exciting point? Yeah, the, the, the excitement is around, as I said, this uh, uh, Glasgow uh, yeah. um, uh, Financial Alliance for Met Zero, right? It's, it's, it's a big one. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge commitment. Uh, but again, a lot of uncertainty around how are we going to make it happen? I believe one of the challenges is the, the the expertise that they need to have to be able to make now the decisions that are they need to make to um, to to make that place a reality, right? So, but uh, all in all, is uh, I'm very optimistic about the the pledges that have been made this year and the the excitement around. Yeah, making that a reality and being closer to to the the well the the, the temperature alignment that we need for uh, 2030 and for 2050, right? Yeah. So, what's your personal experience from being in Africa? Yeah, I arrived on Tuesday. Yeah. So, what have you just found around Glasgow and meetings and? Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be a bit more chaotic before uh, coming to the conference because it felt a little bit, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, chaotic before coming to the conference. Once I'm here, yeah, it, it uh, it's quite well organized. A lot of people here, very good energy. Um, since the place is a little bit yeah, smaller maybe than in years, like you can get around relatively easily, so that's good. Um, and you get to see a lot of the the, the people that, uh, as I said, you have not been able to meet for so long. So it's uh, it's quite energizing. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. I'm James Alexander, Chief Executive of UK SIF. This has been. An extraordinary week of discussions and engagement with the financial services industry. And I think what we've really done is try to add our voice to the chorus of people internationally calling for governments to step up and change and make the change we want to see. And this COP has been pretty remarkable in the extent of private sector engagement, particularly from financial services, and we've seen amazing announcements. And I think that has helped the UK government to step up its leadership, something we want to push forward, um, and start recognising financial services as a really key role to play here. But I think the important thing to remember is this can't all be outsourced to financial services or to industry. Governments really have to play their part and to step up. We're seeing signs that that's happening. The government's publishing its net zero um, strategy for the UK. It's also publishing its net zero financial services roadmap, mandatory transition plans. You know, this is all pushing us absolutely in the right direction. Um, but I think each actor in this space, whether that's us as individuals, whether it's financial services, real economy, or indeed government, needs to think about the levers that we have 
individually and collectively and how we can use those to drive us forward because the solutions we create have to be aligned with the uh, size and scale of the climate problem we face because we'd still talk about a decade of action realistically we've used 20% in that decade of action there's eight years of action that we've got left um, and you know some people are saying that their analysis shows that if everybody does everything they've committed to this week then we'll get to 1.8 degrees but actually other research is now saying that even even if that happens realistically we're still looking at 2.4 degrees and that is catastrophic um, and that's before you start to think about any of the wider issues like just transition or other social issues uh, or biodiversity or nature there is so so much we need to do we all have to be focusing on it and uh, you know this cop i think though is a is a really good p- place for that um, and, a, and a good turning point where private sector came into the conversation and made its voice heard. So I'm Owen Fahey, I'm Head of Responsible Investing with KBI Global Investors. We're an Irish-based uh, investment manager, quite active in the clean energy space, uh, but also some broader equity portfolios as well. Mm-hmm. And we're here uh, speaking at the beginning of the, the second week, um, uh, and following on from the investment COP, and so it's, still, it's great to be able to look ahead to what um, is happening, and you've basically just arrived, so what are your plans for this week at COP and what have your main takeaways from the last week been? Well, I think the great news uh, for me personally is that so much of COP is online uh, because of because of COVID. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an accidental, uh, one of the few benefits of COVID that so many events are online that I feel like I've been here for, for a week or more even though I've just arrived. Um, I think in terms of, first of all, looking back, uh, I think my overall impression is a, a, a split, if you like, or the two sides of the coin by looking at COP. So that you have the private sector and indeed our industry, the investment sector, it seems to me to be very active and really making fantastic progress. Um, and I think that's important for, 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 for fairly obvious reasons. The role of private sector capital in driving the, uh, the transition is, is really important. We can come back to that maybe. Uh, but but I, I think there's real momentum on that side of things. And this huge enthusiasm and the, sh- the sheer number of events and the number of speakers and the momentum and, 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 and the really bigger and bigger players getting involved more and more in this all the time so, so that's fantastic to see that momentum and then in the way the governments do you, you on the other side of the coin is 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 the governments doing what they do as i said which is prevaricating postponing worrying about interest groups i mean not all of them and not across the board but there is a degree of disappointment certainly that china hasn't even turned up for example in terms of its president that india you know made a commitment for, for 2070 for goodness sake you know almost 50 years away far too late and so, so there's that slight cynicism or scepticism about government action, but wild enthusiasm really on the other hand about what the private sector can do and is doing. And I, to me, that's been the story of the COP so far. I'm trying to resolve those tensions and, and sort of thinking that actually in, both of them are realistic. And I suppose governments are always going to like the seat. They are always worried about winning elections. They are always wanted to worry about the interest groups. Whereas the private sector sees the enormous threat to investments indeed and to the global economy, uh, not to mention to people coming from climate change. And so, and, and so they are more active. So that's looking back, looking ahead, I think I think the jury is still out as to whether this will be viewed as a successful cop or not. Um, you know, in the way that people clearly look back at Paris and said, "Well, that was a very successful one." If you look back at Copenhagen, that was seen as an abject failure, really. Although some people would say it laid the foundations for Paris. As we sit here with four days to go of this event, I think it is really hard to judge whether it will be seen as a success or not. I think that it will probably be seen, my, my best guess is, uh, and I hope I'm wrong on this, that it will be seen perhaps not as an outright failure, but as uh, 
only a few of the boxes ticked in terms of what it could have achieved. I think the national development uh, contributions, the NDCs, have been a bit weaker than we might have hoped um, in general, though it's hard to generalise too much about that, but I think they're probably a bit weaker. Uh, and as I said already, the fact that key leaders from around the world didn't turn up, that would be seen as negatives. On the other hand, there has been some pledge, some, some progress made on things like methane, and some of the very boring but very important technical work about the carbon offset market and credits, and there's a reasonable chance, I think, of, of serious progress on that. So that's a long answer to a short question, but I think it gives you a sense, and I'm excited to be here, looking forward to the next few days, and, and I think the jury is still out if I was to sum up like that as to whether it would be seen as a success or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot more in the next few days. What have you personally got planned for your stay here? Um, I, I, I want to, first of all, find time to just wander around um, mm -hmm. uh, because I think it's important not to schedule every minute of the time. So I have a lot of events. I've, I probably have far more events in, in my calendar over the next few days than, than I think I can ever get to, although some of them I might be able to by, by virtue of them being virtual. I can I can sort of uh, almost almost uh, double task, so to speak. Um, but in terms of events, I mean, there's a pension uh, summit coming up uh, today. Um, there's a number of, uh, I've been impressed by some of the OECD virtual events in particular. I think they've, they've had a, a number of good events last week and they have quite a few more coming up. But also I think I'm, I'm looking forward to, to just mingling in the open space um, at the in, in the green zone and looking at the examples of what companies are doing. Now you have to be a little bit careful, even a little bit cynical, uh, you know, that they're all sending out uh, great experts to put up good stands and talk about the wonderful things all the companies are doing. But I think it is interesting to see the participation of the corporate sector in this cap is much bigger than in the past. I mean, I, I, I absolutely cannot say this with any basis of fact, but anecdotally it seems that the corporate sector is vastly, um, by, by several orders of magnitude, more involved in this COP than in previous COPs. I say I have no facts to build that up, but anecdotally it feels like that. So I'm actually interested in talking to the corporates, um, uh, whether that's um, investment management firms like my own, or whether it is large emitting companies um, and seeing what they have to say, the commitments they're making. Find us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud.